Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So you know how it goes after Christmas, <clears throat> which is great to see everybody. It's, it's wonderful to start out a new year with both sides of the church full. So, you know how it goes. It's like a storm, though. A wave comes right on you with decorations, food piled up in the fridge, and, of course, what to do with all those new gifts. And some you might rewrap for maybe some other time to give to somebody else. Nonetheless, the first Sunday after Christmas is no exception this year. It brings lots for us to consider here at Zion, and we can quickly get lost... January 1st calls us, and you know pretty well, to greet people with Happy New Year, Happy 2023, right? For Christians today, though, you sang in the first hymn, it's the eighth day of Christmas, marking the circumcision of the baby Jesus. Paul's words emphasize, as you heard today, how Christ was born under the law in every way. This included what it meant to be a male Jewish baby. If that's not enough to talk about, our gospel reading tells us about what happens to the children of Bethlehem. Now, some churches have already celebrated this as a minor festival, which is called the Holy Innocents. And it happened on December 28th last year. Since our Series A readings, though, because we follow a three-year series and we're on Series A and our focus is on St. Matthew, the Gospel writer, it's good that they insert this emphasis of the children of Bethlehem for this first Sunday after Christmas. People are to know that joy to the world over Jesus' birth still came with calamity. It's something that when I grew up in a Lutheran church, I did not know. I knew the story kind of, but I did not know this story related to the season of Christmas. Okay? The first martyrs of the New Testament era were children. They were oppressed by ruthless authority of Herod the Great, it brings also new meaning, as I thought about this, to when Jesus later told his disciples, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot to get lost in over the scene, even at Bethlehem. But today it's best to consider just this, the movement, how the text moves us to different places. The Christ child calls us to places that are unsettling. But God's word assures us every step of the way is never in vain. The first unsettling place is to step into Egypt. To any Jew, this held bad news from the past, as you know, seeped in tragedy. It started out pretty good. A previous Joseph had brought his father, Jacob, and family to Egypt to find refuge from a famine. This is goodness, though, lasted for a time. And Egypt changed and later became a place of slavery for 400 years. You know how it goes. 
And when the angel later then warns another Joseph, the protector of Mary and her child, the threat was not Pharaoh drowning the babies in the Nile River, but them being destroyed by Herod in Bethlehem, who made a calculated attack against the Christ child. We like security in fixed places. We like to know where we're going. We like to know my home is going to be there when I get back after church. We just like fixed places. But the Holy Family had to step away. Those gifts the wise men brought to worship the King of the Jews, God surprisingly used to flip the bill. That would be a 175-mile trek to go to Egypt. More importantly, fear of death led to a good confession. Even though all that death was around, the scriptures still shined because Matthew quotes the prophet Hosea, for God said, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now you have to understand, Israel received sonship to God by relationship to the patriarch, the father, Jacob, so they could be called son. Okay, as a whole group of people. But Jesus, now going to Egypt and being called a son, was standing in the place with, as sonship with the Father, as the true son from all eternity. Jesus, as one man, stood in the place of Israel. And God was calling out his son from Egypt to be redeemer of Israel. Egypt gives us pause to see salvation as never within ourselves, but God brings his gospel to us as a gift. Do you understand? You ain't going to find it in your heart or in your mind, this gospel. There goes my cross. So you're never going to find it in yourself, but you also won't find it in yourselves as a community. It comes to us as a gift, and Israel was going to find out that this Jesus was coming to be savior of a sinful people. You see, we have that struggle today, whether inside ourselves to try to justify our life as sinners, or as a church, we ain't going to find our peace in ourselves. We may have to look at the whole circuit of what they're struggling with as churches and pastors, maybe even to the other side of the world with our Lutheran brothers and sisters who are confessing and bearing the cross there. And what that us to learn about what Jesus is going to do for them, he might also do by grace for us. Okay, that's enough for the first place. The second unsettling place is the step back to Bethlehem, right? That's the one that gets the attention. Yes, cries came over the evil executed, but it calls us to the startling life, frankly, of sinners. Herod was doing nothing special, only what Herod did best. He protected his security and power, and he did it even to a ripe old age, which he was at at this time. He wasn't too far off from dying a couple years, supposedly, later, but he was an aggressive man trying to protect his assets, but he also killed three of his own sons. So Bethlehem is not really all that a surprise to him, they're just kind of written off, casualty of a war that finally he was seeking to end 
the king of the Jews that the wise men so boasted about. However, when Matthew quotes Jeremiah concerning Jacob's wife, Rachel, crying over her children, it related to the judgment against Israel first that came on them in Babylon. That text was used by Jeremiah for that purpose, and now it's being used again to weep over the news at Bethlehem. Now, none can explain why God allows certain evils. To do so would be evil. But we do know the cause as we step back to see when these evils occur, such as the slaughter of the children, it comes from sin, death, and the devil. God is not the source. And so, rather than blaming God, even a deep evil like Bethlehem allowed by the people, because they didn't rise up against Herod in that town, and certainly the leaders um, did not have any stopping power, but they didn't have to have the last word. C.F.W. Walther tells us this important statement. If we want to reject Christ out of aversion to the cross of the Bethlehem children, we can that will not free us from suffering. We have a choice to make. We can suffer with Christ now, like those children, and then enter with him into glory. Or we can rejoice without Christ, like the fathers and mothers of Bethlehem, and then go without Christ in the land of eternal tears. The children were better off than their parents, is what he's saying. Because the parents weren't taking seriously the times. In a land darkened by evil, the dawning of Christ was to renew a better covenant, though, with God and Israel, and as you know, it would be for God and all of humanity. The child Jesus escapes, and that seems really like, why wouldn't God do something? But because in the end it was to render, render a greater sacrifice, a greater service by the cross. To be truly that innocent life given up by the Father in his Son alone, redeeming all from the injustice of evil to trust in Jesus Christ. Not for a time, as we would think, until better days, even though we hope 2023 brings better things, but, look, I'm telling you, for eternity, that is our promise. Not merely to forgive my sin, which is bothering me from last year, or hold on to me for this year, but forgiveness always for me, a poor, miserable sinner, no matter the times. Not rescue from just an evil that we think we can locate and, and probe around and figure out, but as we pray in the Lord's Prayer to our Father to deliver us from the evil one. Okay, the final unsettling place is to take those steps at last to Nazareth. A word by an angel, again, guided the way to where life would be lived out for the holy family. God used death to remove the darkness of Herod. So not all dying is bad. But other threats came on the scene. Nazareth 
was a familiar place to Joseph and Mary, but Matthew tells us what the prophets mean from the Old Testament. He would be called a Nazarene. This town had no mention in the Old Testament, but it did serve to reveal what kind of Savior and King Jesus would be. The prophets are in agreement. But Isaiah can say it best for us. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In stepping away from Bethlehem, Jesus returned in all humility to be the servant king and the true son sufficient to suffer in God's way of salvation. It was already being arranged as a child. Nazareth tells us nothing is in vain since Jesus lives with us every step of the way. Galilee belongs to the mission of God's Son, and this is the best thing for us because Jesus lives out his life on the outskirts of Israel. Not in Bethlehem next to Jerusalem and where it's supposed to be, but on the outskirts, there is the great service of God in the flesh. We know the manger scene, right? The shepherds at his birth, that kind of a humility. But Jesus raised in Nazareth has no shame to live among the lost and the least. This would mark his whole ministry as the Messiah. But the despising of him by the cross can now bring comfort among many people. You remember what St. John tells us above his cross when he's crucified? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's a gift for all nations and people. Christ has come for them. It's not a big city. It's not a prestigious town. Not, a, not in the least. But at Zion, here in Wabash, at this lowly church, Jesus makes his home with us. Yes, the word and the sacrament are never given in vain in this place. Because the Lord is not ashamed to go with us every step of our way. By grace through faith in Christ, there is no settling for anything less than the gospel. And St. Paul tells us then, the good news for a new year. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's the promise of your baptism, and that's the grace that goes with you all your days. To be heirs means the baptized are all immigrants at the present. We have immigration problems. I'm not going to tell you my cure, because I don't know if there is a perfect answer, but I'll tell you this, we better get used to what it means to move a little bit. We wait to enter the true kingdom, even as it comes among us by the gift Jesus brings to live with us. Removing the clutter, it's all about the movement today. Don't get caught up, but in this. Egypt, Bethlehem, and to Nazareth. Joseph and Mary were probably confused by the whole thing, as, as parents would be, 
Uh, they were probably wondering about all the decisions they were making. Probably spending money not the best way sometimes and getting taken for it for all we know. But God had a plan. And the Christ child, child's way came with approval. This is the point of Matthew. It came with approval for us by the prophets, by the word of God. It is now from Christ we learn to pray on our way. Thy will be done to our Father. And his word assures us, assures you, every step of the way. Amen. The Almighty and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and keep you now and forever. Amen.